Business has always been about turning a profit, making money. But can it stand for something more? Something beyond dollars and cents? We think so. We think that today, business has a higher calling, a purpose to be fair and just, to do right by their workers, customers, communities, and the environment. And it turns out companies successful doing that also do better for their bottom line. When you see the Just Capital seal, it means this company is a force for good. Visit JustCapital.com to learn more. Afford Anything is a podcast that teaches you how to be smart with your money. As a small business, you don't have the resources to pay the level of overhead and for the level of services that a Fortune 500 company could afford. So I certainly understand why, if you want to offer benefits, the providers of that, that that fee is going to be higher because there's more account management per employee. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Movies, TV shows, books, podcasts, and more. It's what women binge with Melissa Joan Hart and her friend Amanda Lee. We have Lauren Bosworth with us. The Hills. So what is like your number one question from fans? The primary question I still get asked was, what, is it real? (laughs) (laughs) In 2024, to me, is a surprising question to get because I feel like everybody has been through the reality TV gauntlet at this point. What women binge wherever you listen. If you really want to acquiesce, I think I saw our buddy up in Huntsville, Yaffe, say, okay, uh, you win. What was it? Kyle Whitmire, one of them that started this little war, one of those liberals. And it was like, you win. Birmingham is way worse than New York City. And it is per capita. We've got problems. But here's the here's what I wanted to point out. So four people are shot at once from some just street thuggery over in um, Westside. The guy they arrested, his name is Lamarian Takizi Charlie. You won't ever hear about him again. That story's over. If it was a white female with a MAGA hat, boy, there'd be live shots all weekend. But it wasn't. There's no race issue to exploit. They probably don't even know what kind of gun he used. They're not going after that. But here's what they will do with this story. You now have, by national standards, you have a mass shooting. And so this story will get added to the mass shooting statistics. The next time your favorite liberal wants to make an argument about AR-15s, I bet he didn't even use an AR. Hundred bucks said he had a stolen handgun. So, uh, so, but they'll put that in mass shootings so they can lump it in with the other mass shootings because it's it's that many people at once. So there's one way they'll fudge the statistics. Secondly, idiots like the the people on uh, on Twitter X that pop off about statistics. What this did was it made Birmingham more dangerous in the statistics, which when they want to lump a whole state into it, they'll drag the whole damn state into Birmingham's death toll. And then they try to impugn that Alabama is a red state and red states are more dangerous than than New York City. You see how they do it? So thank you, Lamarian Takizi Charlie, for helping uh, your uh, folks in the Democrat Party uh, make the red state look bad. So clearly... The logic from a left-winger is because Lemarian went out and shot a bunch of people and killed them in one afternoon, that it's a red state problem. (laughs) That's reality, y'all. I have to deal with it all the time. I've dealt with crime statistics my whole life. And and so you won't get media coverage. Nobody will care about Lemarian. These poor guys, you won't ever hear their names anyway. They're just standing around one day, and they're all dead now. And they'll indict our entire state, fudging the statistics from crime-ridden Birmingham. I heard from a person who's connected to uh, all this. Let me try to describe it, figure out a way to describe this. This person's a friend of mine, talking to another friend of mine about the the statistic argument that was going on 
on social media this week, again, between Tupper Bowl and, and Bedwetters. And, um, and we all understood immediately what that meant. Hoover is lined up with Birmingham in the statistical survey areas. Uh, the census draws them into a metro area. But years ago, it used to all just be called Birmingham, but Hoover grew and grew and grew. And then Hoover um, became got its own designation, but it's still tied to Birmingham. Does that make sense? It used to be called the Birmingham Metro Survey Area. Now it's Birmingham Hoover. And that's a compliment to Hoover for its growth. But Hoover gets tagged with the crime statistics that happen uh, from Red Mountain North, all in Birmingham. If you want to see where the death is in Birmingham, pull up the murder map. Just Google Mur- Birmingham murder map. One of the news outlets tracks it. Every time somebody gets killed, they put a little dot on the interactive map, and you can see where the murders happen. That's good information for trying to figure out where to buy a house or put a grocery store, but they've got a murder map. And the murder map happens where the Democrats live. If you take the murder statistics, I've done this. I've sat down and done it. I'm a geek with this stuff. I'll do it. I'll sit there and spend an hour doing this just for giggles. Um, if you take a map of voting patterns in the United States of America and you take a map of the murders in the United States of America, guess where they overlay? Anybody? Class? I'm not talking to you over at AL.com. Y'all are over there uh, with your COVID mask on, charging your Prius. You ain't got time for this reality. Here's reality. It overlays where the Democrats live. In fact, about, I think it's only like eight counties make up most of the murders in this country. It is concentrated. It's a concentrated issue. And so here's a real-life example. Uh, they've just made an arrest. That was a horrifying story because of the, I guess because of the number of people died that died. Obviously, uh, Mahogany Jackson's death is reversed. You had a whole group of people attack one person. Where does that go in your crime stats? You had eight people, and not one of them had enough damn sense to say, hey, y'all, maybe we ought not kill her. This is after they stripped her and tortured her and did those vile things and then killed her. Left her under a mattress for dead and got caught pretty damn quick. So the, the, the rhetorical point is the left will turn right around and use all those statistics against everybody else. So they've got, a, they've got a, um, a really an urban violence problem. And what does that translate to? It translates to the Nancy Pelosi's of the world and everybody else lecturing the rest of us that we need to give up our ARs, that we're the problem. That most of you that have long guns or handguns safely tucked away, locked in saves, nightstands, uh, that probably would never fire at another human unless you were threatened, you're the problem because you're a member of the NRA and clearly they're a Nazi uh, clan group. So that's the rhetoric in our country. That's why we can't have an honest debate about crime, and that's why we can't fix it. So not only can we not identify it, not only can we not drill down on where the problems are, they don't, they're not making arrests. They're not, you just heard a caller earlier in the day just in our own county talk about Jefferson County, can't even keep employees at the Sheriff's Department. Who in the hell would want to work there? Look at what they got to put up with. You, you can't pay these people enough to do that job, and it takes somebody with a certain skill set to do it. I'd be a terrible cop. I've talked about it for a long, long time. I'd shoot somebody the first day out. I, I mean, serve me a seer driver's license. Oh, I don't have it. Blam. I mean, I wouldn't have the patience for it. I wouldn't be any good at it. I'd be arrested. They'd be, I'd be shooting somebody the first. That's why I wouldn't be a good school teacher either. I'd punch the first kid that mouthed off at me and go probably get arrested. It takes a special personality to do the challenging things in our society. We don't pay these guys enough for the stuff they have to put up with 
and then we turn around and allow things to spin out of control. Suddenly, you remember how stupid we got in this country? Hold on, I'm on a rant. I can't even stop right now. I'm going to keep going. Remember when they can't? Let me get it together. Remember when they canceled Paw Patrol? We got so stupid in this country, they canceled Paw Patrol. They canceled cops. They they canceled anything that was pro-police. And literally, they were the enemies of society out of of nowhere. The hell they are. Because what we found out since then is when you remove them, it goes to hell. Now we know where the problem is. And it's still going to hell all over the country. But you got, you know, you got bedwetters that go, oh, it's the problem is in the red states. It's the red states with blue cities, especially a state like Alabama that has a gigantic metro area, just like Atlanta. It has a gigantic, not that we're the same size, but Birmingham Fs up the statistics for the rest of the state. And the Hoover example I was trying to give you was this. I had a person that's been associated with city stuff down in Hoover make a good point. I'm, I'm trying to give partial credit because I don't know if that that they want me to identify them, but they're like um, tying Hoover and Birmingham together with the, with the stats, with the crime and the violence stats is like uh, the spouse with the better credit score, helping out the stats Hoover's addition to Birmingham's Metro per capita death rate makes it look better. And it also makes Hoover look worse. Hoover's over here trying to recruit, uh, recruit a new medical center trying to redevelop things around the Galleria um, and and do all the things they're trying to do to keep viability. And they've got a pretty aggressive, heavy police force. Good for them. Um, but then when people start to do a little searching, if they've never lived in Alabama or traveled to Alabama, they look up the crime statistics, and sometimes they get tied in with each other. That's not fair. That They should find a way to separate themselves from the chaos that's happening in the city of Birmingham. Sadly, though, what's going to happen is it's going to make the per capita number in Birmingham even go higher because it doesn't change the number of murders that take place with the violence problem that they're having in Birmingham. It's just, it's it it all ties into me. When I saw that headline, I was just like, yep, this is exactly how those, those rates. And there's something else they do on the left. Here's something else they do. Because this week they're also trying to disconnect the violence from these immigrants uh, from any statistical evidence that they're more violent, okay? I talked about this earlier in the week. So over in Georgia, that was a flashpoint case. Lake and Riley's death caught the imagination of people that hadn't had to live with this thing. It came home to a university community, not downtown Manhattan, not the streets of Chicago where they're sending these folks, or not right along the border where the cartels are working. So it hit a major university uh, in this country. And so... Uh, in addition to the networks ignoring it and Biden ignoring it and everybody not because conveniently it doesn't fit their uh, points, here's what they did try to do. Say, well, y'all are just being emotional. There's no evidence. They'll say there's no evidence. There's no statistical. The stats don't bear out that illegals are causing more crime. You know why they're not in the stats? Y'all already know, don't you? You know why they're not in the stats? Because they're not in the stats. They're not putting them in the stats. They're not arresting them. They're not using real identities. We've caught, uh, I say we, there are people that are sleuthing this stuff all over the Internet, going through arrest reports. When they catch one of these bastards from uh, uh, Venezuela or China or wherever the hell they came from, when they commit crimes, they're chalking them up as white. Y'all ought to see these uh, arrest reports. There's a mugshot 
of a dude clearly not white, and then on the <laughs> on race they mark him as white. He ain't gonna read it. Why would they do that? Fudges the stats. It fudges the stats. So let me get this straight. If you're from Venezuela and you beat the hell out of a cop or kill somebody, you're white. But if you were a founding father, you're black. Welcome to America. It's 2024. You can be what you want to be. <laughs> you see what's happening? It, it's like, well, if we want to shift blame, let's blame Whitey. But if it's a, if you just want to talk about reality, I don't see any reality. What are you talking about? Stats. Stats. Schmats. So they're not making the arrest, and then they're mischaracterizing the arrest they're making. And then just like the city of New York, once they do get arrested, ICE drops a detainer on one of them, and all they do is just take themselves to another sanctuary city. Which is what happened over in Georgia, because you had a woke mayor and a woke police chief that said, come on in. We're a university community. We are welcoming to those that are not like us. And by the way, yeah, we still had the story this week where the White House is now starting uh, to call people that came here illegally newcomers. We've softened it again. It went from illegal aliens uh, to illegal immigrants to undocumented immigrants to immigrants to what else have they, what are the other transitions as we do the identity of people that barged in? If somebody kicked the door in in your house and started stealing your stuff and assaulting your family members, would you call them newcomers? If they came in without your permission and just made themselves at home, would you call them newcomers? Why, honey? Could you get out some Triscuits and some LaCroix for the newcomers? They're hungry. Newcomers. It's all about the image. It's all about the rhetorical points. So I just had to do a little forensics on that. Back in a minute. All right, y'all. Ox Foundation Solutions. With all this rain, I'm telling you, that's when... Foundation issues will present themselves. It's like it's like when you have uh, something going wrong with your health. It'll present itself. It'll sometimes start very subtly, and if you're smart, you're on it. If you got a rock chip in your window, once you see that, if you know if you had that off, it's a lot cheaper than replacing a windshield. Same theory holds for your home, and in times like this, when the water's trying to get in, it gets in when there's a lot of it. Look around, smell around, pull on the doors, check things out. Just do it. I don't know, once a month, making sure you're on top of your house. The minute you suspect anything, or maybe you just want a good checkup, get Ox Foundation Solutions over to your home to look at everything. They are committed to standing apart in that industry, to doing things right, having the latest technology, and helping you fix those things while they're still fixable. Man, it can be cost prohibitive when something sets up and just makes a mess of your home. And it can start small and get huge. I mean, there's a... I've seen some horrifying situations. People just let them go too long. Get that fixed. It's oxstrong.com. O-X, oxstrong.com. I'm trying to verify this, uh, but apparently I'm understanding a couple, several reports online that some fishermen off the coast of Alaska have fished another balloon out of the ocean. This time it would appear, I guess it's intact if it, Fell into the ocean. Now, whatever that thing, remember the original one over Montana had this thing the size of a school bus under it, and it had all these antennas and technology on it. And um, so we blew it up. And and I'm so conspiratorial nowadays, I'm not so sure we didn't blow it up to help the Chinese because I don't know that they want us getting our hands on one of these things intact. So what we don't know 
is did the uh, fisherman find uh, a balloon that was intact, okay? In other words, not just the balloon, but the device that the balloon was carrying. The balloon's not the problem. It's whatever was underneath it. So what's being reported is that, let's see, is it in the air or in the sky? Fishermen encounter what appears to be another Chinese balloon off the coast of Alaska. They have been in contact with the FBI and are bringing the object to shore with them. So I'm curious, is it is it the whole thing? Did they reach up and snag it out of the air? Did it just land on their boat? Did they get it out of the water? This is going to be fun. I mean, especially after the last time, it was just seemed like uh, that balloon went from Alaska all the way down to, like, South Carolina. It was just, like, just cruising. It was like uh, Chinese tourists just taking pictures of it was America. Just, it was just like, okay, so... And if the Chinese made a statement about it, because we know it's the Chinese. Oh, <laughs> uh, you give us back our Baroon now. Oh, by the way, there's a guy all over the internet today saying he's a well-known kind of a security guy with uh, IT and all. He's saying that what happened to AT&T last week was 110% a Chinese hack or and or uh, uh, I don't know how to, maybe a spyware type hack attempt. And it messed up AT&T. And the cover story uh, that it was software update is just a cover story. Now, what gives that plausibility to me is the fact that it took them so long to tell us what the problem was. AT&T just did not seem to know what the hell was going on, and that's a hack. I mean, to me, that's a hack. They blamed it on solar flare, and then they blamed it on this and that, and then finally they settled on software glitch uh, during an update. You know they would have known that immediately. I mean, it wouldn't take two. I mean, Kamala Harris could have figured that out. All right, Lion. Okay, here's the... Uh, Here's the bottom of the hour break. We'll get back more of your phone calls. What a what a news Friday. Redland Rifle this weekend. My plan is to get over there maybe Saturday. Uh, got a lot of little projects I'm trying to get to. Checking some boxes this weekend. And one of them is I'm, I'm in the market to do a little uh, trading, and I got, another, I got another little handgun that I'm interested in right now. That's my next thing. So I'll probably pop over there and work with them on it because I know they have what I want. I've seen it in there already. If you're a first-time buyer, this is a great environment. If you're a gun pro, I mean, you're a constant carrier and you've got all kind of stuff, this is a toy store. you got real experts, a lot of selection, really great prices. And it's just, I like to work with people that are local, got a good attitude, and are there for you for everything you need. Because y'all know how it is. You get a gun, then you need all the stuff that goes with it. you got to have concealment. you got to have a holster. you got to have a case. you got to have a safe. you got to have ammo. you got to have, in, in the case of long guns, there's optics involved and slings. And, Lord, it, it just goes on, and it's fun. I do. I think it's fun. So let's get over to Redland. I'll see y'all. They're in um, the same shopping center as the Mavis Tire, which is over near the Home Depot on 280 and in Inverness. Y'all got all that? So if you're in Inverness, it's the inbound lanes over there across on the Home Depot side, but right in the same little parking lot as the uh, Mavis Tire store. Go by and see them today and, and get yourself situated with, I think, just the best little gun store in all of Alabama, Redland Rifle, redlandrifle.com. Okay, so I got squirreled. I got this. Uh, we now got a balloon story to chase. <laughs> it's uh, At least we're having some fun on the way out the door. The news is both encouraging and distressing today. So it appears some fishermen, some commercial fishermen, so they would have the equipment to do this kind of retrieval, have come across what they suspect is a spy balloon off the coast of Alaska. Now, there's a, a, a map on here, and I don't know how accurate it is, but it's really close to the coastline. Like, it's not way out at sea. It's um, sort of near right where the Aleutian Islands start. 
uh, heading west, I guess, if you looked at that uh, chain of islands. And they believe, it said, here's, I'm just giving you some quotes from people that are reporting on it, that they feared that it might be another spy balloon and they're bringing it to shore. So we ought to, unless the FBI or whoever's involved, they, they're on the way there uh, because they're probably, the, you know, the closest um, uh, big-time governmental uh, law enforcement agencies, probably the FBI over there. Um, they're going to uh, meet the fishermen and take a look at it or take custody of it. Um, I'm assuming, now it's a big leap, but I'm assuming that our government knows what's on these things and what kind of capabilities they have. Uh, I know there was a mad race after we shot the one down off the Carolina coast. What was that, a year ago? That uh, there was a mad dash to get over there and retrieve some of it so that it could be studied. But this could be a case where the equipment's intact. But I would think, I'm just going to speculate here, that if the balloon if the balloon were still attached to the equipment, that it might have sank. But then again, if it was light enough to fly and go through the air attached to a balloon, it might be light enough to float or maybe uh, buoyant enough with the balloon attached that it would be, they could get the entire thing reeled in. Now, the one that we don't know how big this one is, but the one that we all watch for days and days fly across the country and continue the national embarrassment that is the Joe Biden administration, uh, that one was huge. I mean, once there were detailed photographs of it and estimations on the size, remember it was the size of a, they said like a school bus size um, uh, cargo underneath that thing with all the surveillance equipment. So there's that story. And then in other transportation news, I'm going to go back to this because I started the show with it. Man, my, my heart just soared for these incredible people in um, – northern uh, Louisville, Kentucky today uh, that rescued that trucker that was hanging, the whole truck was hanging off a big steel bridge in Louisville. Here's how the story went. If you haven't seen this video, when if you're just riding down the road trying to get home tonight, find a way to watch this before the day's over. And it's kind of long. You can get to the part where the final rescue happened. But this 18-wheeler, it had a, a looks like a dry carrier box on the back. Actually, I see refrigeration on it now that I look at it. A Cisco... Uh, trailer attached to a tractor and it went off the bridge and so about a third of the trailers hanging over the bridge and the tractor still attached dangling over i believe the ohio river uh it's the clark memorial bridge over the ohio river and uh the the hood of the truck was sort of had fallen mostly off and it was dangling and the driver was just in there he was uninjured enough that he's sitting there suspended over this river, attached to his truck, could have died any second. So rescuers, it took them a minute because it's a massive operation, a very difficult operation, like something out of the movies, a wrong move, and the whole thing goes into the river. And they used a a big crane. They got a big construction-type crane from somewhere close by, I would assume, and they dangled one of their rescuers. And another assumption I'm making is it was a high-angle a uh, trained uh, firefighter of somebody that does this stuff and trains for this moment. And they had to dangle him with a crane over the bridge to get him alongside the truck to get the driver out of the doggone truck. And he did it. He didn't do it on the first try. It took a little while. It's a very, and he's swinging in the wind, dangling over the ocean too, trying to get this guy. He got him, got him out, held onto him, I guess strapped him on. Then they retrieved both of them and fished him back up over on top of that bridge. And the way I started the show was that was just 
uh, it was just a moment of the best of our country, just quick ingenuity, uh, good old toxic males out there rescuing people. I mean, that's that's who we are. It's not this distressing stuff that's in the news left and right right now with these weasels that get into politics and these soulless um, bastards that are trying to take this country apart and these lying, shifty people that are constantly getting all the attention in this country. These are just some regular folks. These just, you know, here's a truck driver and some guy who's trained his butt off to to dangle from high angles and make rescues. Thank God for people like that, and I mean it. Speaking of God, let me give you something else I thought was uh, kind of interesting. I saw this earlier today. Y'all know about uh, Joe Rogan, and I don't watch his podcast live, but the guy's had phenomenal success, and uh, you wouldn't call him political in any uh, description. You wouldn't call Joe Rogan hyper-political or at least partisan. He doesn't come from that world. But he started uh, waking up to things. He really has. He's starting to have revelations, things he didn't realize about. Because he's a curious. What's best about him in my estimation is he's curious. Two things. He's curious, and he listens to his guests. I and mean, he has interesting people on, and he's got enough of a following that very interesting people want to come be on his show. And they've had plenty of controversial moments on his show. But today, I don't even know who the guest was. Uh, he started making um, a point that was surprising for a lot of people about spiritual warfare. And it was a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but it caught some people off, off guard in a way. But let me just, I'll say this and then I'll let you listen to it. I just got it pulled up. The, the secular world, the people that don't do uh, Christian shows or religious shows that are expected to give you that message. Your pastor will tell you that the same things this Sunday is we're all worried uh, about the fate of the country, really the world right now. I'm really worried about these things. I'm reading up, studying, just constantly thinking about it. How do we fix all this stuff? And what I keep concluding, and I need people wiser than me to give me advice on it constantly, is that this really is a bigger battle than what it seems. It's not Democrat versus Republican. You're really a foolish person if you're still subscribing to that old model. Y'all break your minds free from that. This isn't D's versus R's. Uh, it isn't love versus right. It's In a secular sense, it's, it's elitist and globalist versus free people all over the world. It's simultaneous. It's all over the world. It's not just us. They want you to think it's just us so you feel weak and isolated and scared. But bigger than that, I, I do think it's a good and evil battle. Now, people in my life when I was growing up talked about these things openly. It was part of the national conversation all the time. It wasn't unheard of to call something evil. Nowadays, it's become uh, almost pejorative. It's, it's taboo. You don't really say it. You look crazy. But there are people that have platforms, very powerful platforms like Joe Rogan that are now, at least he spoke up about it. It was bothering him. And I think everything he said was pretty correct. For folks that don't live and breathe uh, religion or talk about it all the time out loud, you get a sense too. Some of y'all are feeling the same way. You get a sense there is a spiritual battle going on in the world right now where we need something else because these humans and government officials and concentrated power are always going to fail us. Man, are they failing us in a spectacular way right now. But just listen to this. Make make of it what you will. I don't want to proselytize. Uh, the building might catch on fire. But I was encouraged by the rescue of the trucker. And I was encouraged by a person with a platform like Joe Rogan uh, making it, I guess, in some ways okay to get this stuff out there. Because there's a lot of people that might get encouraged to think in those terms just by listening to his podcast. Here's what it sounded like. 
understand the need to have some sort of divine structure to things, some sort of belief in the sanctity of love and of truth. And a lot of that comes from religion. A lot of people's moral compass and the guidelines that they've used to follow to live a just and righteous life has come from religion. And unfortunately, a lot of very intelligent people, they dismiss all of the positive aspects of religion because they think that the stories are mere superstitious fairy tales that, you know, they have no place in this modern world and, you know, we're inherently good and your ethics are based on your old moral compass and we all have one and that's not necessarily true. We need, new, we need Jesus. <laughs> I think for real. Like, if you came back now, it'd be great. Like, Jesus, if you're thinking about coming back right now, now's a good time. Yeah, pretty soon. Yeah. Now's a good time. Hey, uh, yeah, high five, Joe Rogan. Yeah, man, we need some help right now. It's it's out of control. Oh, man. Uh, that was that was fascinating because of who said it and, and the context in, in which he said it. Again, it's weird. I, I'll tell a story I've told many times on the show. I, I was blown away as a young, a super young man right out of school, right out of college. Traveling into Europe, never been anywhere in my life really uh, like that, and trying to do one of these student, uh, go to Europe and look around and hang out and get a job and all that stuff at that stage of my life. I guess I was 23, um, and I, I'll never forget this. I was in a um, little cafe like having breakfast, and I want to say it was in France, but it might have been London. It kind of runs together sometimes because we were in both countries back-to-back within a couple of weeks and we did, I was married at the time uh, to a young lady right out of school. And um, she and I sat down, we got ordered breakfast. We're sitting there just young and eyes wide open, looking around at this cool country and uh, broke as we could be. And as they brought breakfast out, we bowed our heads and said a little prayer like we do in the South, like we do um, publicly all, some of y'all do it every Every meal you have grace, right? And so, of course, being from America and it's 1990, we didn't think anything about it. We just, that's what you do. A little quiet prayer. We didn't say it out loud, just to ourselves. And this sweet little old lady came all that she had a little trouble walking. I remember she had either a cane or a walker. I remember she just kind of creeped up to us. And she said in very broken English, uh, she goes, were you praying? And we said, oh, yeah. And she said, it's so nice to see young people religious. That's the way she said it. I'll never forget how she said it. And we were surprised she said that. And I said, really? She goes, no one prays in public anymore. And so that was a shock to us. That was a shock. It's like, really? Is you not, people don't do that around here? This was, you know, a place where a lot of us have ancestry in uh, a Western country. So here's my point of telling you that little story. My observations on that trip were that London in particular and Paris as well, Paris forever, had slipped into kind of an agnosticism. Uh, they were too good for it. We we saw closed churches everywhere. Church, there'd be a building that was four or 500 years old, and it was just boarded up where it used to be a church. In fact, in a couple of places, there were bars inside a building that used to be a church. And for this little southern boy, that was just off-putting and weird. I just didn't expect that. It was... It was something new. You, you, in 1990, you would not have seen that in the United States. You just wouldn't have seen that quick decline. So here's where I'm going. They went from clearly Church of England, the Catholic Church, and all that 
uh, legacy and history in Europe to an agnosticism and uh, not really an atheism, but just a, a vacuum in their country's spirituality that stayed empty for a number of years, but you could sense it was changing. And then later in that same trip, I went out to Heathrow Airport and I was trying to get a job. I was just a young kid trying to get work. I was an American. That seemed like a place where an American could get a job. They had a bad economy and they didn't like hiring foreigners. And I was a foreigner. And so it was difficult. So I went out there, found out there was some work at one of the American um, airline companies. Thought that'd be a fun place to work. So went all the way out there. This is back when you could walk all the way into the terminal. And it got up uh, to a certain floor and there was a TWA wing. There was a TWA uh, concourse in that airport. Some of y'all remember TWA. Had a lot of hijackings and terrorism over the years. And I'd never been, I'd never seen a group of Muslims in my life. Y'all, I'm from Roanoke, Alabama. I'd never seen a bunch of Muslims. And that whole floor, they, they had automatic weapons security, uh, magnetometers. That was kind of unheard of back then. Everybody was being scanned. I was just looking around these people in garbs I'd never been around. I, my eyes were wide open. And uh, then somebody put out a call to prayer. I didn't know what that was either. Y'all, I was a kid. And this this voice comes over some speakers, and I just ducked into a gift shop. I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. Before I looked, there must have been 300 people in that, um, in that what would you call it, that concourse where all the gates are. They all hit their knees and started praying because um, they do it, what, five times a day? They all faced Mecca. They figured out which direction. They all hit their knees and started praying. And this guy was calling out the prayer, and they all dutifully did it. That shocked me. I was like, wow, dude, check that out. I didn't expect to see that in England either. So uh, what you see now with the fundamental shift in their culture and the advance of Islam, what preceded it was an agnosticism. It was a vacuum. This is my personal theory, and I can bear it out with statistics if you want me to. I saw that as a young kid uh, 40 years ago. I saw a, a Western country going through a change because it was shifting from its past to something different. And I'm, I'm telling you, we're about 20 years behind that. We're a different country, but it's happening in front of our eyes. I, I don't know which direction we're going. Uh, it could be Islam. It could be the devil. It could be communism. But we are clearly walking away from a set of values that got us here into what I believe right now is a big agnosticism all over the country. Um, church membership's declining. The church is receding from its public voice. It's not out there speaking like it used to. It's not taking the lead on the cultural issues of our day. Um, it's just not. Y'all can believe it if you want to if you go to your mega church and you can feel like you're surrounded by you're not the majority anymore. And when that recedes, something's going to take its place. I don't know what it is. Something will take its place. It won't be neutral. It won't be a vacuum. It won't be some intellectual uh, nirvana. Something will take its place, and nothing will be the same. I promise you that. Back in a minute. It's 458, Leland Live, talking Internet 5, Crocker Moving Services. Next up, man, that's a great moving company. You don't need to have to hire them to come in, bring all those trucks and all those people just get them to come do the simple project. Sometimes you just don't want to throw your back out or bother your friends or you don't have a truck or you need a person on the other end of the couch. Whatever it is, they can do the smaller projects too. They got that two-hour rate, which is just amazing. So get them 
get them to come see you. Um, it doesn't matter what it is, pool table, desk, piano. Um, what else can I name? I had a safe move by them one summer. Couldn't have ever moved that thing. I couldn't have, I couldn't have moved it with every friend I have. They did it. They did it with uh, execution, precise execution. Because Eric's a former Marine, and he really does uh, take the mission seriously when it comes to your house. He he comes, and sometimes he'll be on the truck himself making sure his crews are doing the right thing. It's a great company. Hey, send me the pictures of the big blue truck in your um, in your driveway, too. I like those. I love when people do that. They'll take care of your stuff. Call them. Uh, reach out to them at crockermovingservices.com, crockermovingservices.com. Funny little side story. We have a ladybug problem in our building. It's something that happens a couple times a year. And it's not really bad on our end. Uh, it's bad on the other end of the building. It's like a, uh, it's like an Alfred Hitchcock movie back there. The ladybugs. Oh, it's, it's like, <laughs> it is crazy back there, man. But it, it was kind of intense up here as well, too. I flicked a few, a few off my computer screen the other day. But, but I mean, you're talking about hundreds in the back back there, crawling in the lights and landing on everything. And so uh, Jonathan's in here spraying. He's our bug guy. And he comes, he comes around more. I've seen him more in the last couple of months than I've ever seen him. Cool guy. But AJ, this is be funny, I guess, between me and you, maybe the audience. I looked up. Uh, you know, I'm constantly in the breaks, keeping up with the clock because I got to come back and I got to be here and I can't walk down the hall. And when he's in here talking, we're always chatting. He listens to the station. And I said, man, what time is it? I just mumbled, what time is it? He goes, oh, you got to – he said, you got about 30 seconds before you come back. And I, went, <laughs> I was like, hey, man, you want to be a producer? <laughs> he, he's, he's, I'm paying attention. When you've got to go into somebody's studio and get your job done and get out of there before the next, before the break's over, he he knew our break schedule. He's doing that all over the building. He said, <laughs> "You got two minutes, right? I'll be right." I mean, that's pretty awesome. Hey, everybody! This is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities players to stash schedule analysis and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces catch the fantasy nba today podcast part of the believe network on youtube or wherever you listen afford anything is a podcast that teaches you how to be smart with your money as a small business you don't have the resources to pay the level of overhead and for the level of services that a fortune 500 company could afford so i certainly understand why if you want to offer benefits the providers of that 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 fee is going to be higher because there's more account management per employee make smarter choices and build a better life afford anything wherever you listen are you ready for hard-hitting observations? She is the least credible person I may have ever seen on camera. The Ben Shapiro Show brings you all the news you need to know in America today. Guys, not everything is 40 chess. Why can't we just laugh? Ben breaks down the culture and never gives an inch. We all know I'm the number one rapper in the world thanks to Facts by Tom McDonald. The Ben Shapiro Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.